We continue our series and encouragement, and I want to encourage you with the statement to start. You are all failures. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We have all failed, right? That should be somewhat of an encouragement. Misery loves company, and we have all failed, and that's certainly something that's common with every human being. We've all had times in our lives that we've blown it, but we also know what it's like. Hopefully you do. I know what it's like to fail and have someone come alongside you and encourage you to keep moving forward. Who else has had that experience? There's encouragement in that, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today is encouragement in failure. We're in this four-part series on encouragement, and I pray that this series has been an encouragement to you, uh, that it has encouraged you, but it's also, I pray that it's, it's challenged you to be an encouragement to someone else. Most, if not all, have, have heard the song, all of you have heard the song, Home on the Range, right? Who has heard that? Okay, y'all know I'm not a singer, all right, so I need some help. Uh, we're going to sing that, the most well-known verse together, okay? Uh, somebody want to volunteer to start us? Anybody got confidence? I'll do it, but I'm not sure what key we'll start in. All right, Olivia, can you start us? Home, home on the range where the deer and the antelope play. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Could somebody tell me where on Google Maps you can find that place? Does anybody know? Because I've never seen it. I don't, there is no place where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. There is not a place I've ever been that exists that has that characteristic. How about you? I'm, do what? Montana? Okay. All right. Well, I have to visit there someday. But there is discouragement in life, right? I mean, songs like that are great, and we all know them. We love them, but it doesn't really represent real life, does it? Because life inevitably is going to get you down. It's, something's going to happen to you that's going to cause you to get discouraged. And that's why it is so important that we have people in our lives that encourage us. The reality is this. There are discouraging words because we live in a discouraging world. And it is oftentimes that way. Matt Matt Slick said this. He said, when life is tiring, when you are struggling with your sin... When family members aren't saved, when the bills aren't paid, when school is difficult, when work is exhausting, when your health is failing, when your loved ones are hurt, when the future is unsure, when a good friend leaves, it's easy to feel discouraged. And I would guess that some of you, if not all of us, can identify with one of those things at least this morning. He continues, discouragement is a thief. It steals your vitality, your zeal, your joy, your peace, and your contentment. If discouragement dwells too long with you, its friends will soon join in, and the friends of discouragement have the names of fatigue, hopelessness, despair, self-pity, depression, doubt, and bitterness. Now, I don't have to ask if you've ever been discouraged. We've all been discouraged, and we all get discouraged from time to time. We live in a discouraging world, but it's so great that God calls you, and God calls me, God calls us, 
as a group of people to be about the ministry of encouragement. And that's why it's so very important that we perform that ministry of encouragement. Let's review before we finish our series today. Stuart Briscoe defines encouragement. He looks at the word encouragement, and at the very core of that word is the word core, which means heart. And the center of the word encouragement beyond that is the word courage. And so we can say that encouragement means to put heart into people, to impart courage to others, to try, to risk, and to press on. And all of us could tell stories about how someone came alongside us and put heart into us when we were discouraged, who gave us uh, the courage to try, to risk, to press on when things were difficult. As a result, we did. We tried something new or we persevered in something that was difficult. We risked something. Maybe we just kept moving forward. We refused to give up when, t- when times were challenging. Encouragement is so incredible, and sometimes we underestimate it because it can be a really simple thing to do, right? It can be a matter of writing a note to someone or just saying something encouragement. We, we tend to, to lessen its importance, its significance, because it really is easy to do. Just a simple act, a simple word. But we should never underestimate the power of encouragement. Encouragement is incredibly powerful to give, and it is incredibly powerful to receive. And encouragement is of God, it is from God, it is biblical. We are called to be encouragers because when we lift people up, we are lifting up Jesus. We are doing it in his name. We are encouraging them in, in him and encouraging him, them by his strength. In Romans 15, 5, God calls himself the God of encouragement. He gave himself that title. And then over 30 times in the New Testament, it's mentioned in places like 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Over 30 times we are told to encourage one another, to be encouragers. It is the duty of followers of Christ to be encouragers. It's one of the things that we are called to do. It's not negotiable. We are all called to be encouragers. And that brings us to this guy Barnabas that we've been looking at for the past three weeks, four weeks today. Barnabas, if we look at him, his real name is Joseph. He's not known by his real name. He's known by his sobriquet, his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Because what happened is some very important guys gave him this nickname. The apostles gave him this nickname because they looked at his life. They looked at how he invested in other people. He encouraged other people. He was selfless as he dealt with other people. He was such an encouragement to them, the apostles, to the early church that they said, Hey, Barnabas, come here. Uh, Joseph, you are no longer going to be known as Joseph. You are for now, now and forevermore going to be known by your nickname, Barnabas. You are Mr. Encouragement. That's how much of an encouragement he was, a blessing he was to other people. He, to us, is known by Barnabas. To everyone is known by Barnabas because he encouraged other people. And we've looked at his life in four snapshots. If you'll think back, we looked, God's given us this story to impact our soul. We started in Acts chapter 4. What a pivotal time. The church has just started. The day of Pentecost has just happened. The church is brand new. The church is struggling. 
So Barnabas, what does he do? He sells his land. He mortgages his earthly future so he can take what he receives and gives it to the church. We looked at the encouragement that comes from giving. And then we went to Acts chapter 9. Here's this guy, a terrorist, a persecutor of the church named Saul. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life is changed. He becomes a follower of Christ. He's on fire for Christ. He goes to the church at Jerusalem, wants to be a part of that church. They know him as a terrorist, as a persecutor, and they say, no way, this is a trick. He's, he's on the verge at a crossroads at the risk of getting discouraged to the point of giving up. And guess who steps up to vouch for him? Mr. Encouragement himself. Barnabas says, hey, I've seen this guy. I've seen his life and how it's changed, and I will vouch for him. And because Barnabas is a man of integrity, because he's Mr. Encouragement, the church says, okay, Barnabas, if you will vouch for him, we will accept him. And then we move to Acts chapter 11. Another pivotal moment in the church. Acts chapter 1 through 10 is the gospel going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch, the church is on the verge of going to the ends of the world. Acts 1-8 is being fulfilled. And so this this revival takes place in Antioch, and they send Mr. Encouragement to that church to teach them, to disciple them. He brings Paul with him to disciple them. He goes and gets Paul and brings him back, and Mr. Encouragement is pivotal in missions as we know it being what they are today because he goes and he helps that church establish its leadership and establish uh, the, the way to do discipleship and missions, and, and then the, the church begins to spread rapidly. So we've seen these three snapshots in his life, and we, we come today to see another important aspect of Barnabas encouraging others. And I want us to understand what's happening in, in Acts chapter 15, where we're going to be today. We're going to see, remember now, this is the acts of Jesus through his apostles, through the church, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. He works through his church. And we look at Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. And there's a young guy by the name of Mark. And I want us to understand what happens in Mark's life here, how he failed, because he blew it. He blew it big time. Mark did. John Mark did. He, we see through the interaction between two godly men, Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to learn what it can teach us about encouraging others who have failed. We've all failed, right? And I reminded you of that at the beginning of this message in case you had forgotten because we're all, we all fall into that, that category. We all need to be reminded of that, not just to discourage us, but the fact that we failed, but we're still here today. So somebody helped us along the way. Barnabas was willing to help Mark. With Jesus, failure is not final. And that's the message that I want you to hear today. Because you're going to blow it. We all have. But failure with Christ is not final. And with Jesus, just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. We've all failed, but you're not a failure. Okay? There's a difference. Our God has the final word on our lives. And our lives have, have his hand. If they have his hand on them, our lives are written by his hand. And he has the final word. So Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. I just kind of want to set the scene before we look at three truths after that. <clears throat> verse 36, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. So the first mission trip of Acts chapter 13 is now over. Okay, They've completed that mission trip. 
Emissions is not a one-and-done trip. It's a lifestyle. We're on mission every day. We do take mission trips, but they are, they, it goes on every day, everywhere we go. Life, life's missions is missions that magnifies Jesus, okay? What I love about 36 and missions, sometimes you go for the first time and you share the gospel, you plant a church, you do some work, whatever the case may be. But there are also times where we go and we check up on the people that we've already reached. That's why we have a partnership with Ecuador that will continue for the next few years. Our Nepal team just got back, did a report a few weeks ago on their trip. They were going back to where they had been before and, and following up on work that had taken place, checking on those they hadn't seen in two years because of COVID. So there, there are times we not only want to reach new people, there are times where we come back and check up on the people that we've already reached. And that's what's happening here. Paul is wanting to go back and check up on those that they've, they've shared the gospel with on those churches that have started. When we come to verse 37 and 38, we see there's tension between Paul and Barnabas about this guy named John Mark. Barnabas wanted, he was determined, that's a very strong word there, he wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate. He not only did not think it, he insisted that they not take him. Again, the very strong word used here. He he didn't think it was appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone on with them to the work, to do the work. So Paul and Barnabas both agree. They have a heart to do missions. They're passionate about doing missions. They agree this needs to take place, this follow-up trip, but they differ on the makeup of the mission team. In verse 37, we, we see that what happened here is that Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul does not want to take John Mark. But then we see in verse 38, he, again, he not only does he not want to, Paul insists that they not take him. Strong language. He doesn't want to take John Mark because it says at the end of verse 38, last time they were on mission trip number one, John Mark deserted them. He abandoned them. He didn't follow through. So I want to fill in some blanks here on how they got to this point. John Mark, in this portion of scripture, he's a young believer. He's a young guy, next generation believer. He's we know from Colossians 4.10 that he's the cousin of Barnabas. He's a relative of Barnabas. He's a young believer that's raised in a Christian home because the Bible tells us that the church met in his mother's house. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch is going to the ends of the earth. Okay, The missions, the, the Acts 1.8 is taking off, is being fulfilled. They're sending out this mission team, and here's this young new believer, young guy named John Mark, He loves Jesus. I have no doubt about that. He's passionate about seeing people's lives change. There's no doubt in my mind, in my heart, that he really wanted to see people's lives change. That's what's fueling his desire to go on this very first mission trip ever. And it's so awesome. I got to go on my daughter's first international mission trip recently. It's so great when people do that for the first time, right? The excitement, the enthusiasm. And I believe John Mark had all of this. He's part of the mission team with Paul and Barnabas. But then we find out from Scripture that he struggled on this first mission trip. We know from Acts 13 and other places in Scripture that they took off. They left the mainland. He went with them, Paul and Barnabas. They went 100 miles on the Mediterranean Sea. Not an easy journey. They came to the island called Cyprus. They took the gospel from end to end, saturating the island with the gospel. 
And like in all mission endeavors, there were great victories, but there were also great obstacles. Because, you know, serving Jesus and being on mission is not a playground, it's a battleground. Spiritual warfare, it's not going to be easy when we dedicate ourselves to living on mission, certainly going on mission trips. They faced tough times. They left the island of Cyprus, and now the mission team of Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, and others are going to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. When their boat pulled up to the shore, they would have seen this dark, rough, rugged area, sharp rocks, really tall bluffs. This was a place where they were going, incredible persecution, great dangers. It's a place filled with disease, Fever is rampant, and the Bible tells us in Acts 13, 13, John Mark, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. He quit. Bottom line is he quit. He gave up. He threw in the towel. This young guy, young believer, all pumped up, first mission trip, he fails. He blows it big time. He goes back home. The Bible doesn't tell us why he quit. Some believe it's because he was afraid of the dangers, and Paul did tell the church in 2 Corinthians that he faced incredible dangers. He always did. Others say it's because of the hardship, because some of the reason they were, there, there are unreached peoples even today is because where they live is difficult. It's difficult to get to, and there are hardships there. There are always going to be. It's trying. It's tiring to go. It's exhausting. Maybe it was just the hardship. Others say maybe it was just as simple as he was homesick. The church met in his home. Maybe he just wanted to go home. And we all get homesick when we're away from home for a long time. Others speculate because that Barnabas and Paul basically switched roles. Barnabas, at some point, was no longer the leader. Paul was. Some say maybe because he was related to Barnabas, he didn't like that. Others say maybe it's finally hit him that the hub of the church was now now in Gentile Antioch and not Jerusalem. Maybe he didn't like that. Going to the ends of the earth maybe was what he didn't like. The bottom line is the Bible doesn't tell us why. The Bible does tell us, though, that he quit. He blew it. He failed. So now it's time to go on missionary journey number two. Paul and Barnabas are excited to go. They both agree to go, but they disagree. The personality, this, this, this difference is not doctrine. It's not a personality clash. The difference is methodology. Does John Mark go or does he not? Is he a part of the team or he's not? Here's the situation, all right? Paul's focus was on the mission. Barnabas' focus was on the man. Both are good, right? The mission's important. Paul doesn't want to sacrifice anything for the sake of the mission. He knows it's going to be hard. He's saying, you know, Paul's focus. How will John Mark be on this trip? He's already abandoned us once. Barnabas, though, was focused on the person, and that's perfectly, it perfectly aligns with what we know about him, right? He's an encourager. He's, he's all about investing uh, personally in people. So Barnabas is thinking about what God's going to do in John Mark's life if he does go again. How can God use this? Paul's saying, hey, come on, we're going to the same place we went before, and this guy abandoned us after 12 verses. <laughs> it didn't take long. He's saying, listen, he's already blown it. He's already abandoned us, and this is going to be difficult. 
We can't take the risk of him abandoning us again. We need our entire group to be all in. Barnabas is saying, hey, what will happen if we don't let this guy go? What does God have planned for him? And if we don't invest in him, if we don't show him mercy, if we don't show him grace, what will happen? And hey, Paul, by the way, don't forget, I vouch for you at the church in Jerusalem when nobody wanted you there either. I mean, there's this disagreement that's going on. There's tension. Who's right? Who's wrong? The Bible doesn't tell us. They both have logical, valid points. And verse 39 says there was such a sharp, it means a stirring, serious irritation. There was such a sharp disagreement. They're not going to back down here that they parted company. These two did missions together. They worshiped together. They traveled together. They saw miracles together. They were persecuted together. They could not come together on this issue. So they agreed, hey, Listen, let's just divide the mission team. We'll cover more ground that way. You guys go one way, we'll go the other. And and Barnabas took Mark, mission team number one, with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas, mission team number two, and departed after being commended to uh, to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I want to make a quick detour here because I think this is important. It has, we have a tendency to look at this and say that these guys, that, that this was a break in their relationship. I don't believe that. I believe that they couldn't agree on how to do the mission trip, and so they came up with an understanding. These two guys who disagreed, just because Paul and Barnabas divided the mission team doesn't mean that they were not united in spirit and in heart. They just came up with a solution. Hey, we can have two mission teams that go out here. It doesn't mean that their friendship for one another is affected. I know that years after Acts 15 and uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says Barnabas and I, they were together again. We know that Paul and Barnabas were together doing ministry after this. So it wasn't like it was a bitter separation. Okay, they just came to a solution. They, they divided, they went two different ways, but I do not believe they were ungodly. In this. I don't believe they hated each other. I believe they still loved each other. They were just passionate. They had a difference, so they came up with a solution. And it takes grace, and it takes mercy, and it takes godliness to handle that. The reality is we're all radically different people, aren't we? I've never, none of the churches I've pastored were, were, have been made up of people that were from so many different backgrounds. I love it. It's great. But listen, I could go around the room And we've got people from all over the country, right? Even outside the country, all right? All over the world. But the great thing is in Christ, there's unity and diversity. And there's encouragement in that. So I want to focus in on what God did in John Mark's life through Barnabas. Now that we understand how we got to this point, we're going to focus on the encouragement that that Barnabas gave him. We need to focus on the next generation, how we can give them a second chance. Because if you're going to disciple new believers, young believers, they're going to frustrate you at times. They're going to blow it because we did when we were there, right? And we need to learn, those of us who are mature in the faith need to learn how to encourage those who are young in the faith. Three things that I want us to see as we look at Barnabas' impact on John Mark that will help us encourage those who failed. Encouragers, number one, encouragers do not give up on those who gave up. We don't give up on people who give up. John Mark failed. He gave up. But I'm so glad that Barnabas didn't give up on him, aren't you? We live in a fallen world. We fail. We fail others. We fail the Lord. We fail each other. The bottom line is we all have blown it and will blow it. And if you're going to disciple young believers, they're going to fail. 
They're going to blow it. They're going to fall flat on their face. There are going to be times when they completely blow it. No excuse. They just blow it. Okay? That's what John Mark did. When this happens, we cannot give up on them. What, what would be helpful is to remember the times that we failed and people didn't give up on us. And remember that it takes investment. It takes time to disciple young believers. We just need to remember. Write it down. We all fail. We fail each other. We fail the Lord. And we fail our families. We fail others. But what I love about this is the way that Barnabas did things to encourage him. The ne- this next generation believer named John Mark. I think he did three things. Three things that Barnabas did to encourage John Mark. Lessons for us. Number one, be determined. Be determined. I th- Barnabas was determined. When someone fails, they need somebody to come alongside them. They need those people discipling them not to give up. They need, we need to be determined as we disciple young believers. I guarantee you that Barnabas had all the respect in the world for Paul, but he knew that John Mark needed encouragement. He knew that John Mark needed someone to come alongside him because he was at a critical moment in his spiritual growth. He was determined to disciple John Mark. It didn't matter. It mattered that he failed, but it didn't matter in terms of, of Barnabas' role in discipling him and encouraging him. He stu- still needed to do that. The second thing we, is we have to have patience. Well, that's tough. If mature believers are going to mentor young believers, it's going to take patience. You're going to have to have patience. The more mature believer needs to mobilize, be mobilized in their work and their service, and we model and mentor to young believers like John Mark. We need to be mentors, and it takes patience to do that. We can't expect young believers in just a few years to achieve spiritually what it takes the rest of us 20, 30, 40 years to achieve. But we have the tendency to do that. We expect non-Christians and new Christians to act like mature Christians when it took us 30 years to get there. And we're all still a work in progress, right? It takes patience. It takes time to achieve spiritually what God wants. God, God works on us each day, and it is a lifelong process. We have to have patience. The third thing is this. Focus on future potential, <clears throat> not the failure of the past. Now, Liz, before I go any further, I'm not downplaying sin here, all right? We're not justifying. John Mark blew it, and that what he did was wrong, and there are consequences to our sin, right? And sometimes those consequences mean we're disqualified for certain ministry positions or things that we would like to do. But in this particular case, And in all cases, just because we fail doesn't mean we can't serve the Lord in the future. I mean, even even the worst of failures, God gives us another chance. So thankful for Ben stepping in today to lead worship. But he pointed out, don't know where Ben is. I can't see him. There he is, right in front of me. (laughs) Kids keep telling me I need glasses. I guess they're right. (laughs) Pointed out last week you were thankful for a third chance, right? Not just a second chance. How many of you had more than three chances with the Lord? Some of you need to get your hands up, right? <laughs> but we all, I mean, God is the God of another chance, right? And, and he, he, listen, even if you blow it in a major way, there, there has to be repentance. There has to be forgiveness. And you have, there has to be humility in that. But God will restore you. And we, as God's family, should be a part of that restoration. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we need to focus on future potential. We should never base the total makeup of a person on their worst moment. 
But how would you? I know I'm glad that's not the case because I've had some bad moments in my life. I'll be honest with you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't base your worth, your value on your worst moment? should be thankful for that. And, and Barnabas has, he's locked into this. He knows this and he wants to invest. There's going to be some people who are going to come alongside you in the life of the church, friends, people you're discipling, pouring into, and they will not finish what they start. And it's discouraging, but we don't give up on them. Even if they quit, that doesn't mean that we're finished with them because that doesn't mean that God's finished with them. Yeah, I, th- I can remember a, a key moment in my life and uh, before I even was sure God call, had called me into the ministry, I was serving on staff at my home church. It was, uh, it was, it was a position that was um, not a ministerial position, obviously, to begin with. It developed into that. But, you know, I, others were telling me maybe that God, uh, they, had see, they could see that God was potentially calling me into ministry. But I was struggling with it. And some things had happened. And I, I was ready, you know, frustrations that exist in ministry, I was starting to experience those because I was doing ministry, and something happened at the church, and I don't even remember exactly what all it was, uh, not important, but I, I was I left asking the question, why am I doing this? I don't even know if this is what I want to do with my life. Lord, why am I doing this? And I went to the guy who was over me, St. Green. He was the youth pastor at the time, and he had been my youth pastor. He was there when I was a young child. He left, and then he came back, and he was my immediate supervisor, if you will, and I went to him, I said, saying, I'm, I'm really struggling. I don't really, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And he knew the situation. And I was about to go to Rec Lab, which was a conference. I was doing recreation ministry. And, and he said, I tell you what, Alan, you just take this week. You're, you're leaving anyway. Don't give up. Don't give up yet. Just take this week and you just get away and, and ask God to, to show you what he wants you to do. And it just so happens that that week, uh, God had already been working on me. And I've been running from his call for a while. And it just so happens that that week, God confirmed his plan for me to be in ministry. And I came back. The problems were still there, but I came back rejuvenated, refreshed, and more determined. And it was God using St. Green at that moment to encourage me. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep moving forward. And I, I don't know where I would be without men like him that God has placed at men, women, church, family who God has placed in my life along the way to encourage me to keep going and not give up. I'm thankful for men like that, for people like that, who, who love me enough to hold me accountable, to encourage me to keep moving forward. I worked with Saint for four and a half years. He knew me when I was a kid, so you better believe there were times he wanted to give up on me, but he didn't. He kept encouraging. I'm thankful for people like that, to forgive my failures that I've had in my life, that we've all had in our life. In 1998, Associated Press told a story about a guy named Mark Eklund. Mark was one of those kids, if you're a teacher, he's one of those kids that you just, maybe you wished he was sick that day when you came in. He was, a, he, was a, well, he was frustrating. He was always getting into trouble, always causing trouble. And I guarantee you, everybody in class considered him a frustrating failure. He, he always did poorly in school. He was always getting into trouble. And this teacher who, uh, was, her name was Helen Rosla, Rosla, I believe is how you pronounce that. Helen had him when he was uh, in kindergarten, young. Well, later on, years later, she transferred to junior high. Guess who she had in her class? Mark Eklund. And he was still just as frustrating in junior high, even more so. If you have a middle school boy, say amen to that. Just as frustrating in junior high as he was 
in kindergarten. But one day she gave the class an assignment. She got several pieces of paper. She wrote each student's name at the top of it, and she passed those sheets of paper around the room and said, here's your assignment. You need to write something nice about that person whose name is at the top. So they did that. They passed this paper around the room, and everybody wrote something. Mark Eklund was one of them. Everybody wrote something nice about Mark Eklund. Years later, she gets a phone call. Family of Mark Eklund calls her and says, Mark was killed in Vietnam. He served the country. He was a soldier. He was brave. He was a warrior, and he lost his life, and we want you to come to the funeral. So Helen, of course, says yes. She's at the funeral. A family member walks up to her, pulls out a, an old piece of paper, and it's that piece of paper from that assignment. They said Mark carried this in his wallet from the day he got it until the day he died. It was such an encouragement. A frustrating failure turned into a warrior, a brave soldier. And obviously, the fact that he carried that around shows that that encouragement was vital in him becoming what he did become. We never know what even just a simple act of encouraging words can do to somebody who's blown it, who maybe is consistently a failure, and what that will do. Encouragement is powerful to give, and it's powerful to get. Second truth, encouragers have a heart for restoration that's a reflection of Jesus. We have a heart to restore Barnabas, an encourager, he didn't reject the failure. He didn't reject John Mark because of his failure. He longed to restore him. He longed to restore him to ministry. He failed on the mission team, but Barnabas wanted to get him back on the mission field again. He knew that God had called him. He knew God had a plan for him. He wanted to restore him so that he would keep serving the Lord. You know, like I said, sin has consequences, and we know that. And sometimes those consequences disqualify you for things, but it doesn't mean that you can't serve the Lord. If we repent, if we get our hearts right with God when we failed and we receive forgiveness, we can be restored and serve God once again. Barnabas wanted to restore him back to ministry, back to relationships. And we're, go- we're, we're going to see in a moment, even Paul and John Mark were restored in their relationship. They ended up serving together. We really, what encouragers want For those who fail, encouragers long to mend what is broken. And that's having the heart of Jesus. We see something broken, we see someone broken, and we want to see them restored. And that's a reflection of Jesus. Peter, he blew it. He denied Jesus, the rooster crowed. But then we see in John chapter 21, what does Jesus do to this guy who completely blew it? He restores him completely. And then look at how God used him in the future. As Max Lucado brings out, Think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He knew that every one of those grimy feet that he washed would one day run from him, would fail, would hide from him. Think about the grace that God has shown us. Think about the grace he's shown you. How could we ever do anything different? Encouragers, it's not about rejecting someone who fails. It's this desire to see them restored. And that's a gut check for all of us, a heart check. We want to see them get their heart right, their life right with God, to be used by God as a part of that, not reject but restore. Edward Steichen is known as one of the greatest photographers of all time. When he was young, he got a camera, his first camera ever, and he went out, he took 50 pictures. Of those 50 pictures, only one of them came out. There's a picture of his sister sitting at the piano. You know what his dad did? His dad rejected him. He said, son, 49 pictures that didn't come out, that's not a very good showing. Well, he was ready to give up being a photographer. 
He was ready to get rid of his camera, but then his mom came along. And he said, you know what, son? Forget the 49. The one that you took is incredible. It is beautiful. What an amazing picture. So he kept on. He didn't give up. That little bit of encouragement put heart into him, gave him the courage to press on. Even when he had been rejected, he pressed on, and he ended up becoming one of the most famous photographers the world has ever known. One pivotal moment in his life, he received encouragement. He was, he was surrounded. He was a failure. He had messed, I mean, 49 out of 50. Didn't come out, but his mother encouraged him. Someone restored him. Someone helped him move forward, and we need to have the heart of Jesus towards those who fail to be willing to show the same grace that he's shown to us. One more thing. When you encourage someone who fails, you never know how God will use them in the future. This is what's so incredible about this. We have no idea, and those people that we're investing in, those young people, we have no idea how God's going to use them in the future, where their story will end. We have no idea how it will impact the kingdom of God for the glory of God, how their lives will be used to impact God's kingdom when we just simply encourage people, just a simple act of encouragement. When we encourage people who have failed, we never know how God's going to use them in the future. What about this young guy named John Mark? Whatever happened to him? Anybody know? I mean, turn back a little bit in your Bible and you'll have some indication, right? Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. God obviously used him. It, all, it paid out. paid off in the end. Barnabas didn't give up on him. We know that he went on this mission trip. He did great things for the Lord. He, we know in the Bible, this young guy named John Mark, the apostle Peter called him my son. That's how much of an affection he had for him. In Colossians, uh, or in Philemon 24, Paul, who said, you're not going with me, called him my fellow laborer. So they obviously worked it out and served together. Mark proved invaluable, in fact. In Colossians 4.10, which is over a decade after Acts 15, over 10 years later, Paul says this in Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul's in prison. It's a hard time in his life. He's at the end of his life. And who does he ask in 2 Timothy 4 to come to his side to minister to him? 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, make every effort to come soon, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke was with me. And listen to this, bring Mark with, you, with me, with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. He proved himself useful in many ways. Not only did Peter say he's my son, Paul says this guy, he's in ministry with me. He's invaluable to me. And again, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one of the books, of, one of the Gospels. And many believe, that many scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark had great influence on the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. This guy who was a failure, he ended up writing one of the books of the Bible and having such an influence on God's kingdom, he was valuable to Peter, considered a son to Peter, valuable to, to Paul, how could we ever begin to calculate how God has used the gospel of Mark alone for his kingdom? This guy who quit, a failure. 
You think about this story. There was a time that there was this new believer named Paul, this life of Barnabas. There was this new believer named Paul who was rejected by the church, but Barnabas encourages him. He didn't quit, and Paul would write over half the New Testament. And then there's this young guy named John Mark who failed, who blew it, bailed on a mission trip. Barnabas encouraged him. He didn't quit. And then he would write the gospel of Mark that would impact Luke and Matthew and the entire world, still is today, for the kingdom of God. How about the fact that this Bible that we have in our hands, think about this, the the New Testament, the bulk of the New Testament, overwhelmingly was influenced not by a guy who held great rallies and, and, and preached to thousands, millions of people. He wasn't the, the greatest speaker of his time. We don't know how good of a speaker he was. He wasn't the most famous person. It was a guy named Mr. Encouragement. When you get behind all of it, Barnabas was key. And Paul and Mark, the apostles themselves, And they're continuing in ministry because he was such an encouragement. When you think about that, just the act of encouragement, dedicating yourself to encouraging, to ministering, to discipling. We have no idea what God will do in the future of those we encourage. The Bible doesn't say this, but the Jewish historian Jerome says this. He said that as John Mark grew older, he went to Alexandria, Egypt, to plant a thriving church. One of the most important churches in history it became. And then it also tells us that in 68 AD, Nero was the Caesar of Rome. And he hated the church. He persecuted the church intensely. And John Mark, Mr. I'm quitting the mission trip. Get this. History tells us John Mark would not bow to an idol. And here's what they did to him. They tied a rope around his neck. They tied the rope to a horse. And they drug him through the rocky streets of Alexandria and ripped him to shreds. He died a martyr for the gospel. Mr. I'm quitting the mission trip now. How did he get there? Obviously, it was the grace of God, the strength of God. But had it not been for a guy like Barnabas, he never would have gotten to that point. If, he, if Barnabas would have just said, you know what, Paul, I'll go with you. We'll leave Mark behind. What would have become of John Mark? Instead, he becomes a martyr for the church. And here's a, here's a lesson for all of us. Failure is not final. Maybe you're here this morning and you failed. Get your heart right with God and know that God has the final word on your life. What past failure are you running from? What are you struggling with this morning? Come to Jesus. Receive the gift of salvation if you haven't. Allow him to restore your heart, to give you a new heart, and to restore you into a relationship with him that's based on meaning and purpose and a future. Four snapshots of this guy's life. He's an encourager. He encouraged the church. He was a giver. He encouraged Paul. He vouched for him. We see where that led. He encouraged the church in Antioch, and we see where that went. And then he encouraged a failure like John Mark, and we certainly see how God worked in his life. We've looked at Barnabas these past four weeks, and I want to close with this. I'm grateful to John Ortberg for this insight. Have you ever been to a funeral? And I'm careful about doing this. I usually don't do this because you never know where it'll lead. Have you ever been to a funeral where a preacher says, hey, would anybody like to share about the person? I've been to those. 
And usually they work out well, but you got to know your audience before you do that. <laughs> um, but but you've seen, let, let's just for a moment, John Ortberg does this. Let's just for a moment put ourselves at Barnabas' funeral, okay? Let's just imagine we're there. We're right here. This is Barnabas' funeral, okay? So we're sitting there, and the, the pastors, maybe I'm the pastor of the funeral, okay? And I say, all right, would anybody like to share? And suddenly, someone gets up. This guy stands up, and the crowd begins to whisper, okay? There's a, there's a buzzing, because everybody knows who it is. It's Paul. Paul's known all over the, the church, all over now. It's famous. Paul gets up, and he says, I want to share. He says, you see, before I came to Christ, I was a terrorist. I was a persecutor. My mission was to kill every Christian or lock them up, punish them. And I thought I was serving the Lord. But then Jesus Christ changed my life. And I, I went to the church in Jerusalem and I wanted to be a part of the church, but they didn't want to have anything to do with me. And who, who could blame them? I, I was awful. I was, a, I was a terrorist to the church. But then Barnabas stood up and he put his arm around me and he said, I want to vouch for this guy. I've seen the change in his life. I've seen it's real. Church, we need to accept him. We need to encourage him. And because of Barnabas, I'm here today doing what God called me to do. And then a few minutes later, somebody else stands up. And again, there's a whisper. They know who it is. It's Mark. It's John Mark. And he says, listen, folks, I, I blew it. I had the opportunity to go on the first missionary trip ever. And I blew it. I failed. I quit. It was too hard. I gave up. And I thought my life was over in terms of serving the Lord. But then Barnabas vouched for me. He took me under his wing. He took me on that second missionary journey. And what God did in my life was incredible. And what God's done in my life since, I would have never expected. Nobody would have ever expected. But here is a guy that played a key role in that, Barnabas. Then a guy stands up and he says, you know what? I, I'm a member of the church in Antioch. I was a pagan. I worshiped idols. I lived the worst lifestyle, the most pagan lifestyle in the middle of Vegas. I lived the worst lifestyle you could ever imagine. I never, I knew about this guy, Jesus. I knew what he had done, but I never thought he would save a guy like me. But then Barnabas came along and he came to our church and he taught and he showed me by his life that yes, Jesus was for a guy like me. And I accepted Christ and he changed my life forever. And then some lady stands up in the back. No, there's no buzz because nobody knows who she is. And she comes forward and she says, you know what? My husband died and I had two young kids. I was in the church in Jerusalem and I was struggling. I didn't know where I was going to get food. I didn't know how I was going to eat. I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. And then Barnabas, he sold some property. He gave it to the church and it met my needs and it met my kids' needs. If it weren't for Barnabas, I'd be out on the streets right now. I wouldn't have any hope. Then maybe one of us is there, Right? And we stand up and say, I obviously didn't know Barnabas personally, but in the past four weeks, we've looked at four snapshots of his life, and I've been so encouraged that I want to be an encourager to others. Or maybe I've given up, and now I know there's hope because of a guy like Barnabas who's willing to invest in a failure like me and Jesus Christ giving me another chance, not just a second chance. And now I want to be an encourager to others. I want to invest in others because I see the value of encouragement in the life of other believers. Maybe we all are forever changed. That's my hope, that we all are forever changed by the life of Barnabas. And John Ortberg says this. He says, that's a kingdom funeral right there. 
That's the funeral of a man who never tried to be great, but just tried to call out greatness in others. So here's the wrap-up of the series. One minute till 12. (laughs) Just to prove I watch. I do watch. For God's glory, the power of encouragement. Never know what God will do through your encouragement of others and through their encouragement of you. And what hits my heart right now, what I want us all to think about, what are people going to say at your funeral? What will people say at my funeral? Will it be a Barnabas-type funeral? I pray so for all of us. I pray that we will be encouraged, but that that we, we will become an encouragement to others. Let's pray together. Father, we, we know your heart is one of forgiveness, is one of redemption. You gave your life so that failures like us could be forgiven and set free. And we thank you for that. And I pray that if there's someone here today who's failed, we all have. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And if there's someone here who's struggling with that and they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would, they would come to you in this moment, that they would look to you in repentance, asking for forgiveness. Because I know, Lord, if they do, if they cry out to you, that you will come into their life, you will forgive them of sin, you will give them a new heart and give them purpose and meaning. You will restore them into a right relationship with you and you will transform them from the inside out with a destiny that ends in eternity with you in heaven. For those of us who know you, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that if we are struggling with whatever life has sent our way, if we're discouraged, if we're ready to give up, I pray that you would send people to encourage us, to move on, to move forward, to give us heart, to give us courage. And Lord, I pray that we would be that same encouragement to others who desperately need it, that we would identify, that we would look at people through your eyes and see those who need to be encouraged, that we would invest and and not just, sometimes it is just a simple act, but that we would be willing to give up our lives for the sake of encouraging others and discipleship, and mentoring those, especially those young believers who are the next generation of the church. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart, compassion, and mercy, and grace, because you've shown us much compassion, much mercy, and much grace. Lord, just speak to us now. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for a time of commitment?